Thanks, Steve, for reading God's Word to us this morning. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Matt, and I'm one of the ministers here. And uh, if uh, you're watching online, thank you for joining us online. I will be uh, having a time where you can ask questions using slido.com and the hashtag HBSP, and I'll answer them at the end of the sermon. At KidZone, uh, this term, we have been playing a fun game called Real or Fake Photo. It's a game where I show a photo to the kids, and they have to decide whether the photo is real or fake. And it's so much fun, I thought we'd play it today. So this is what we're going to do. I'm gonna, a photo's going to come up on the screen, and when it does, you have to decide for yourselves whether or not you think the photo is real or fake. If you believe it is real, you need to stand up. If you think it's fake, you need to stay seated. Quite simple. Everyone can play. Let's play. The first photo is going to come on the screen. There it is. Have a look for a second. For a photo to be considered real, it cannot be photoshopped or altered in any way. All right? Make your decision. Stand up if you think the photo is real. Oh, quite interesting. It looks like we have more reels than fake. Let's see if we're right. Is this photo real or fake? It is real. Well done. Take a seat. Next photo. There it is. There's the next photo. It is watermelon. The watermelon there. Do you think that watermelon is real or fake? Take a look. Think about it. Stand up if you think it's real. Oh, there's not many who think it's real. We think... Yes, you can keep playing. Everyone can play. (laughs) All right, most people think that is fake. Are they right? Is it real or fake? It is fake. (laughs) Take a seat. Next photo. This photo is a beautiful photo. I call this one Turtle Mountain. Look at that. Is that real or fake? Okay, make your decision. Real or fake? Stand up if you think that is real. Turtle Mountain. You hope so. All right, everyone made their decision. I think we're about 50-50 on that one, actually. Is it real or fake? It is fake. (laughs) Okay, and our last photo for this morning, real or fake? This one here I call truck. Is it real or fake? I honestly don't even know what is on that truck there. Real or fake? We all think that's real, or most of us anyway. There's a couple people who think it's fake, but most people think it's uh, real. Is it real or fake? It is real. Take a seat, everyone. And thank you very much for playing the game Real or Fake for us this morning. Now, the whole point of playing a game like this today is for us to ask the question, do we come across as real or fake to those around us? 
When people look at us, when people who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior look into this church, do they see people who are real or fake? Everyone is looking for someone to imitate. But if those who do not know Jesus perceive us to be fake, to not be authentic about the gospel and living as Christians, then surely we can assume that they will look elsewhere and follow somebody else. We are all called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Paul makes it clear in this letter that if we truly believe what the Bible says, if we have our hearts and minds set on our future citizenship in heaven, we will shine as lights in the world. Paul asks us, when people look at us, will they perceive us to be real or fake? Let's pray as we look at this passage together. Heavenly Father, fill us by your spirit and teach us by your word that in all things we may seek to make disciples of Jesus for your glory. Work through each member of our church that we might walk in joyful obedience as we seek to grow in love for Jesus, serve his people, the church, and share Christ with the lost of our community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, oftentimes when we read a passage like this in front of us, we do so with our eyes firmly focused on ourselves and what it means for us personally. But today especially, I want to challenge you to realize that there is a bigger purpose for Paul's encouragement found in these verses. I want us to consider what we as people who follow Jesus and profess him to be our Lord and Savior look like to those around us. Read with me verse 5. Verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. In the middle of some of the most popular, well-known verses of the Bible, Paul writes about how we should be known by everyone. And if I was to ask you to put up your hand and uh, tell me what you want to be known for, what, would you want, what do you want to be known for? I'm pretty sure nobody would put up their hands and say, ooh, I want to be known for my reasonableness. It's just not something I've ever heard anybody say they want to be known for. Here Paul describes that as we grow in maturity, our lives and how we relate to others must appear reasonable to everyone. Here Paul describes that as we grow in maturity, our thoughts are to be noticed by everyone as reasonable. And as we grow in maturity, the state of our hearts should be evident to everyone, and when examined, they should be found as reasonable. And so look with me how this is evident in the examples of Euodia and Syntyche. Read with me, starting again from verse 2. 
I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, also true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Verse 2 and 3 describe to us this disagreement between Euodia and Syntyche. And they are apparently two people within the church in Philippi. And they have this disagreement. And Paul doesn't actually give us much information about the disagreement. However, however, he does actually call them fellow workers. He says that they are laboring side by side with him in the gospel. And so this means that they are Christians. They're just like any of you guys sitting here today. And we can also assume that they don't fit into any of the categories that Paul has been discussing so far. They are not those who preach from envy and rivalry, as he mentioned in chapter 1, verse 15. They're not the dogs or the evildoers that we're to look out for as bad examples in chapter 3 and 1. They're not enemies of the cross as well in chapter 3, verse 18. But these two Christians cannot resolve their disagreement. And it's clearly a dispute as well that not everybody in the church necessarily needs to know about because Paul gives us such little information about what this argument is even about. Instead, Paul urges someone else in the church, who he calls my true companion, to get alongside these women and help them resolve it. This indicates that Paul is, more, is less concerned about the actual dispute and more concerned about this local church in Philippi and the fellowship of the believers that they might be damaged when the gospel is inhibited because of internal disputes. And this concern of Paul's comes through loud and clear in this letter. His point is this. If the goal of a church is to work side by side as citizens of heaven for the sake of the gospel, it can all be damaged whenever any two individuals are found with unresolved disagreements. Verse 2 here, where it says that they are to agree in the Lord. It's a really interesting phrase because the original word is the same as to think the same or to be of one mind. It's the same word found throughout this whole book through this whole letter. In chapter 1, verse 27, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. That is thinking the same. And then again in chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, thinking the same. And here in chapter 4, Paul tells Euodia and Syntyche 
to think the same, have one mind, agree in the Lord. And so this here, this example shows us how easily we can lose sight of our aim to proclaim the gospel standing side by side with each other, and we can waste our time in arguments and disputes with each other. And as we argue amongst ourselves, we don't even realize the implications for those who are watching on, who might be led to think they aren't real. They are fake. They are hypocrites. They don't practice what they preach. They're not worth listening to. And they are certainly not worth following. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to agree in every little detail. Paul is not saying that we have to have the same beliefs about everything. He's not even saying that it doesn't really matter what the argument is about, especially when the principles of the gospel of Jesus are being discussed. These things all do matter. We can have differences of opinion without compromising on the gospel. We can have differences of opinion and still have the same gospel priorities. We can still be of one mind, thinking the same way and agreeing in the Lord. So this is here for us to consider how and why we are arguing with each other and understand that our internal arguing and disagreements are seen by others and can have devastating consequences for those who are hurting, for those who are in need of love and care and safety, for those who are searching for Jesus. And so I ask you, are we arguing because we just want to be right? Are we arguing because we have experienced something in the past and we believe that's how it should be done now? Are we arguing over how something makes us feel? I have seen arguments in the past that have broken down relationships that have never been mended. And I'm sure you guys have as well. Paul encourages us to face our disagreements with humility and we must be willing to be corrected. We must be willing to put our disagreements aside and we must agree in the Lord because it is seen by others and it can only weaken the effectiveness of this church. And so I encourage you all to agree in the Lord, to think the same way, to operate as though you only have one mind. And that mind is the mind of Christ that we've looked at that is self-sacrificial, not with selfish ambitions or conceit, but in humility, counting others more significant than yourselves. Paul continues in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Well, verse 4 is a great thing to say in a church, isn't it? 
It's a great thing to sing as well in a church. It's found in so many songs. And as I was preparing this sermon, these songs got stuck in my head. And they were just repeated over and over and over again. And you know what? Saying it and singing it is really easy. But actually doing it is extremely difficult. We sing these words better than we live them. And what's interesting about verse 4 is that it's often seen as this pinnacle, like that we've actually reached the top of a mountain and we are rejoicing in the wonders of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But I want you to consider today that this may not be the case for Paul. Paul has repeated himself time and time again And in this point in his letter, he may be repeating himself in desperation. The fact that Paul has to remind the readers again and again to rejoice in the Lord may just be reprehensible. Now, if you've ever had to tell a child what to do, and you have to repeat yourself over and over again, I'm sure you know the feeling Even if the first time you told them to do something, it was done out of love. By the fourth or fifth time, there is desperation in your voice. Paul may just be repeating himself in desperation. After all, we have the Bible in front of us, God's word explaining to us the guarantee we have in heaven. Not only that, we have this letter in front of us, to the Philippians that reminds us that not only our sins are forgiven, but we have been declared righteous by God because Jesus has paid the price for our sins. And we've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is coming again, and he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious one. So rejoicing in the Lord should be easy for us, but it is not. What becomes evident is that at every point, as we strive to set our minds on our heavenly citizenship, our joy in the Lord is at jeopardy. It is in jeopardy because we have either failed to grasp the weight of our sin and what we have been pulled out of by Jesus, or because we have failed to see the splendor of the heights to which we have been raised to. We fail to be amazed at what we have in store for us in heaven. If we have to be reminded again and again and again to rejoice in the Lord, then how will others ever believe that what we have is better than what this world has to offer? How will they ever come to understand that it is real and not fake? Paul tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. 
Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And continue reading with me from verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, our society seems to be worrying more now than at any other time in history. This passage is so relevant to us here today. And I thought, I considered listing all the different things that we worry about and are anxious about, but I realized that if I did so, the list would just be go on and on and on and would be here forever. I don't need to tell you that you are anxious You already know that. I don't even need to tell you what you're anxious about because you already know that too. But these verses help us to understand how we, as those whose future is secure, are to deal with anxiety. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we all at one time or another struggle with being anxious. I'll never forget uh, someone I used to work with who found me a bit stressed and anxious at work. They used to come up to me and tell me all the time, stress less, Matt, stress less. And when they did, that just made me even more stressed and more anxious. If we don't struggle with anxiety... We know people who do struggle deeply with it. And for us, this passage, if we go and use this passage and say to people, just don't be anxious, don't worry, stress less, it can be extremely inconsiderate and hurtful for them. And so Paul here is not just saying, stop being anxious, just stress less. But what he is saying is that if we are living our lives as those whose citizenship is in heaven, living our lives waiting for a Savior who will subject all things to himself when he returns, if we're living our lives as those who count everything as loss for the sake of knowing Christ, we cannot respond to anxiety the same way as the world around us responds to anxiety. Here Paul explains to us how we are to respond. He says, In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. We are to turn our anxiety into prayer. We are to let our requests be known to God. And friends, this is not easy to do. But know that you are not alone. God is with you. Trust in him. And understand that you can have your mind set on heavenly things. 
and every single anxiety that you have here today can be handed to him and trusted over to him. And so I want you to consider when the last time was that you actually spent time, you took the time to lay down all your worries. When was the last time you spent time alone with God, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you? When was the last time you let all your requests be known to God? We know what this passage says, but when was the last time you actually did what this passage says? Knowing and doing are two different things. And also know that you are not alone in your anxiety. The benefit of being in Christ is that you stand side by side with those who care for you. And for those of us who are standing side by side, someone with anxiety, a different approach may be just to ask them if they are able to pray about their circumstance and ask them if they would like you to pray with them about their anxiety. Philippians chapter 4 here clarifies for us that the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. And for those of us who are in Christ, as we do pray, we can remember the promises that are stored up for us in heaven, the certainty of what awaits us there. And it is our joy. It is why we can rejoice in the Lord. And it is something that those who are not in Christ are hopelessly looking for here on earth. In verses 8 and 9, both these verses go very closely together, so let's read them together. Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And I want to remind you again right here what we are to be known for. We are to be known for our reasonableness. And to be known for our reasonableness means that we are to think and practice these things. Think about what is true rather than the lies that we accept from this world. Think about what is honorable rather than the shameful gossip we condone. Think about what is just rather than assuming we should have what is undeserved like everyone else. Think about what is pure rather than the unhealthy, unhelpful thoughts that surround us. Think about what is lovely rather than the ugliness that we are tempted by. Think about what is commendable rather than the way we can humiliate others. Think about these things 
Because if we don't, we will just look fake to those who need Jesus in their lives. Our thoughts will be seen in our actions, which will show others what's in our hearts. And if what is in our hearts is real, then it is what should be seen by everyone around us. And when we are seen by others, we can share the gospel with them and help them understand what we are never to forget, that the Lord is at hand. He is near, he is here with us, and he cares for us. If I was to take a photo of you all, of our church community, and put it up around Helensburg, would those who dared to look at it think it was real or fake? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we seek to know you more and the power of your resurrection, teach us how to live so that we may be lights in this world holding fast to your word. Give us opportunities to share the gospel with those around us, helping them to understand it clearly so that they may want to know more. And help us never to forget that you are with us. In your son's name we pray, amen. Well, I'm going to give you a few minutes to consider what was said and uh, what this passage has been saying to you. Uh, We are going to sing a song and then I'll be back.